Let me just ask a question. You don't have to answer. Do any of you remember when you got your last tetanus shot? Some some people do. If you had, yep. So, Rita and I just got one a few weeks ago. She stepped on a uh, a rusty nail. Uh, my fault, because I had a board out that had a rusty nail in it. But uh, so she went and got a, a tetanus shot. I got one too, because I couldn't remember when my last one was. So so she said this. So I'm going to include you guys in the family of remembrance for us. Because I know we're not, but she said, oh, we'll remember when we had our last tetanus shot. It was 2020. Well, all this stuff happened in this year. So in two years, we'll forget that. But so if you guys will remember that and let us know if we ever ask you. Um, there's a, a lot of things that you're going to look back and you're going to remember. Well, that, that happened in 2020. In fact, every time I turn, and if you want to get uh, turn here, have it ready for a little bit later in the sermon. Every time I turn to 1 Kings chapter 17 in my brand new Bible that my wife got me for Christmas, I just started using a, a, a month ago. I've got one, two, three communion drop spots on uh, on the page of First Kings seventeen. So, so I'll look back every time in First Kings seventeen and remember. I, I spilled communion, but I don't remember when that was. But maybe I'll remember twenty twenty. Let me ask you another question. If you remember, does anyone uh, does anyone here remember the summer of nineteen eighty? Now. Now, okay, Dave, I'm going to come back to you. I don't, I don't mean generically. If you're over, uh, what's that, 40 years ago? If you're over 40, probably 45, because you don't remember when you were five. But if, if you're, you're under that, you know, because you weren't alive. But, but, but there's a, a particular thing that happened this summer. I'm going to see if, if Dave remembers for the same reason I do. That is, that is right, but it's the wrong answer. <laughs> I forgot about that. Hey, they're going to play baseball again. That's true. He ended up batting 390. I, that iconic picture of him standing on second base with 402, I think, on the Jumbotron. Uh, I thought because you were a farmer, you would. Anyone else remember the summer? I gave birth to my son. Okay. Rita's going to give the same answer there. I'm, I'm still stretching. One more thing. Anyone? You had a son who, all, who had. Hot, yes. The summer of 1980 was ridiculously hot and dry. Uh, in, in fact, we lived in Joplin at the time, but I assume it was about the same up here in Troy. We we went from July into August, and I don't know, it was 10, 12, 14 days, some long stretch where the temperatures were over 100 degrees every day, and it was miserable. It was was terrible. But but I So I remember because of that, but... I'll be honest, the, the real reason I remember that is because my wife was pregnant with our first child the summer of 1980, and we lived in a little bitty house that did not have air conditioning, and she was miserable. And so you know what that made me, right? I was miserable as well. Now, I tend to be cheap, but but I, I broke through that, uh, hey, we can get it out, honey, and I went to... Uh, Sears or somewhere and bought a Whirlpool window air conditioner unit and put it in this little rental house because I didn't want to get divorced that summer. See, when it's hot and dry, bad things begin to happen. In our case, tensions began to, 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 to rise and, uh, we had to do something. But, but, but when it's hot and dry, crops begin to burn up, yards turn brown, bodies of water begin to dry up and recede. When it's hot and dry, and well, let's call it by kind of a, a different name. When there's a drought, things begin to happen. The last couple Sundays, we've been talking uh, from First First Kings chapter seventeen. We're there again today. 
But we've been talking about uh, uh, Elijah and how God called Elijah to be a prophet. And Elijah delivered a message. His message was, well, let me ask, let me ask this kind of question here if people paid attention. Who did, um, who did Elijah, Elijah had a message from God, but who was it to? Who did he give the message to? Anyway, King Ahab. Yeah, great, great. And, and what was the message? You remember the message? There's going to be a drought. It's not going to rain. We know from Scripture, actually from uh, chapter 18, that because uh, he says it's not going to rain for some time. Chapter uh, uh, 18 tells us it was about three years, or at least in the third year it was before it rained again. Uh, his do- job was to deliver a message that there was going to be a drought. So the question I want to ask this morning that we're going to look at that we'll see answered in Scripture today is what do you do in a drought? Now, I don't ask that from the standpoint of the king. I don't ask that from, from what, what did King Ahab do or what should he have done. Uh, I, I don't ask that because you're probably already thinking, thank, thank goodness it rained the last couple of days, so drought's out of your, y'all's minds. But, but, but I don't ask that from the standpoint of farmer. What do you do if you're a farmer in a, a drought? I, I don't even ask the question about us, but, but from Elijah's standpoint, God had given him the message from Elijah's standpoint, what are you doing around? He delivered the message that there would be a drought, and lo and behold, there was. Uh, turn to chapter 17 of 1 Kings, if you haven't already. There's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. I'd remind you that, that last week, after delivering the message, after, after he, he talked to King Ahab and told him what the message was, that God told, God told Elijah to, to go hide in the Kirith Ravine, which would have been on the east side of the Jordan, out of Israel, actually on the east side of the Jordan, go hide in that ravine, and, and you're going to drink from the brook, and you will be fed from, uh, be fed by, uh, by Raymond. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Kings 17. Let's start at verse 7. Now, now the whole text goes down to the end of the chapter. We're not going to read all that this morning. Sometime later, verse 7, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Uh, let me just pause there for a second. No duh. Uh, it, it didn't rain. He had predicted a drought. And so is it any surprise that when he's hanging out in a, in a ravine, probably one of the last places it dried up, but hanging out in the ravine, that eventually it dried up. And, and then he says this. Uh, he says in verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him. So, so God spoke to Elijah again. Elijah's probably thinking, sweet, because the water just ran out. I need a word from you, Lord. He says, go at once to Zarephath in the region of, region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now, let me pause there just uh, again just a little bit. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go back to uh, just one chapter for chapter 16. Now, I pointed out last week that Ahab was a wicked king, and I pointed out last week that Ahab, um, that Ahab worshipped a god, a little test, what was the, god, the, the name of the god that he worshipped? You can cheat, yeah, Baal, yeah, you can cheat if you want, look in the text. L- look with me over in chapter 16, um, oh, got to look at my notes to get the verse, verse 31. Now, he, he not only considered it trivial, he's talking about Ahab, to commit the sins of Jeroboam, sons of Nepat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ithbel, king of the Sidians, 
and began to serve Baal and worship him. So now what I want you to catch is after the brook dried up, God told Elijah, hey, hey, Elijah, the water's run out. Now you go to Zarephath and Zarephath is right in the middle of Sidon, right in the middle of where Baal was worshipped, right in the middle of Jezebel's home territory. You go there. And remember what I said last week about the God of Baal. They saw the God of Baal as the God that brought rain, the God that brought uh, bountiful uh, harvest. And so, so God sends him back to the very place where they would probably be the most upset uh, about his prophecy. Let me, let me continue uh, reading there in chapter 17, just a couple more verses. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As he was going to get it, he called, Oh, and by the way, bring me, please, a piece of bread. Now, you may find this you may find this hard to swallow, but uh, but if you are in a drought, if if you were in a drought and you were Elijah, and you were the one that had predicted it, that's the message God gave you. This is what you would do. Now, let me pause here for a second. When uh, for for seven years or so, when Reed and I were out of ministry, we attended Saint Joe uh, uh, Central Christian Church in Saint Joseph. Every Sunday morning, I would. Uh, Drove my wife crazy. I would walk into the, the sanctuary and I'd get the bulletin. And this is what I would do, wouldn't it, honey? Drove her batty. I would take out this flyer because Central had these flyers too with, with fill-in blanks. And I would take it out and I'd look at the title of the sermon. What do you do in a drought? Then I'd look at the text and I'd read the text. And then I would proceed to fill out the outline before the song service ever started. Uh, trying to guess, figure out how many I could guess right. I don't know if any of you do that. You have my permission to do that anytime you want. So, so during the sermon, when I nailed one, I'd, I'd elbow read and Madison Adam sat by us usually and I'd say, I'd say, Madison, I got that one right. Or I'd scratch it out. Then they got elbowing me. You miss that when you fool. And, and, uh, I, I, I would scratch it out and put the, the right one. But actually, it really was, it, it worked for me because before the sermon ever started, I began to think about the text. I began to think about, hey, what, what, where's Jason going with this? What's his mind thinking? What from this text, wh- what are you doing a drought? What might he be trying to, to say? So it actually kind of helped me get uh, into the text before the sermon ever started. So I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you answer that first question. So, uh, so if you if you have your your outlines out there, the first one it says you, and there's a blank. So, uh, so if you are Elijah, what do you do in a drought? Now I'm going to point out here that there's no wrong answers. Well, actually, they are. There's a lot of wrong answers, but really, they're not wrong because because if you're thinking of them, then that's probably a good thing. But uh, but it may not be what I'm thinking. It, you're Elijah. What do you do in a drought? What What do you think you? What's the blank there? Pray, pray, pray. What? Someone cry. There's a farmer. <laughs> okay, pray and then cry, or cry and then pray. Okay. Any 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 other answers? Pray was the one I figured everyone would go with. Uh, cry is pretty close to the right answer. Way to go, Neil. You, you may not agree here. You may may not see this, but but you know what you know what happened with you know what Elijah did. Elijah suffered. See, in a drought, you suffer. Uh, now, 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 I really meant that question not not so much from the standpoint of what did he do, how did he respond, but what happened to him. 
if, if you look close at the text, if you just kind of read between the lines, that's one of the things you realize that right in the middle of a drought, he suffered. Did, did you catch that? God said, hey, go hang out in this ravine and, and I'm going to give you water and I'm going to feed you. And he's hanging out in the middle of the ravine and then the brook dries up. See, there were sacrifices for for living in the drought, for predicting that drought, for delivering God's word and having to live with what that was. That there were sacrifices. Now, let me kind of set the scene. Um, I, I have no idea. Scripture doesn't tell us uh, some of these, so, so I'm just making assumptions here. We don't exactly know uh, what it looks like, but I bet Elijah left, and, and when he traveled over to the Kirith Ravine, he my guess is he got there middle of the afternoon, and he sat down, and he kind of began to set up camp. I don't know if he had a tent or a sleeping bag, or or maybe got some, some branches around to lay. I don't know what he did, but he got set up, and, and if it's me, if it's me, I'm going to sit there and like, I wonder what time supper is. Because the text said that God said, I'll the, I'll feed you with the ravens in the morning and the evening. They're going to bring you bread and meat. And uh, so, so if it's me, I'm sitting there thinking, well, wonder what God, wonder what God's going to send the birds. Is it going to be five o'clock or or, or six o'clock? And and so I imagine about four thirty, he began to look at the sky. You know, do I see any birds? Do I? And 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 eventually, I don't know when it was, maybe five till five. He looked off in the distance and and he begins to see some some black specks in the sky. And they get closer and closer and closer. And they start coming, and Elijah's mouth starts watering like, oh, here is supper. And here comes this, I'm assuming it was a flock of ravens. We don't know. Uh, but, but I doubt that, that one raven came carrying a big old loaf of bread. I bet each raven had a little piece of bread, um, hopefully better than our, than our communion uh, uh, crackers. But may, maybe, uh, maybe it was. Maybe those little wafers floated down, and Elijah, really, God? But, uh, uh, but, but they... And I don't know if they landed and he took it out of their mouth or if they just swooped down, dropped it, and kept on going. And followed the, the bread ravens were the, the, the meat ravens. Now, now, what did they bring him? Did they, did they bring him hot wings? Uh, did they bring him pieces of steak? Maybe it was a pulled, pulled pork. Okay, he was a Jew, so it probably wasn't pulled pork. Uh, what did they bring him? Now, now, now I, I, I may be wrong, but ravens are scavengers. My my guess is they brought him pieces of raw meat. Now it was it's mystery meat. Now maybe God did. Maybe God cooked chicken for him, and they brought cooked chicken. I have no idea. But but I think there's. I don't I don't think it's an accident that he did ravens. I, I think we, it's not hard to read between the lines and think that God took care of him, and they dropped down this raw meat to him, and then he cooked it. See, God was taking care of him. It may not have been the Ritz-Carlton, but God was taking care of him. Now, now I have to believe that when God called Elijah to be a prophet, this is not what he envisioned. He did not expect serving God would, would have this much sacrifice involved with it. He surely thought God would have had him travel from city to city over Israel. I, I can just imagine thinking, "Okay, okay God, I'm going to be your prophet. You're going to set up a uh, you're going to set up a tour, and I'm going to I'm going to go all over Israel. And when I come into the city, it's going to be with great fanfare and celebration. They're going to yell, "Hey, Elijah's here!" and 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 the crowds would gather. And at each city, as he walked in, they would gather around, and he said, "I've got a word from the Lord," and and he would share that word, and people were like. Thank you, Elijah. We appreciate that. 
And, and then people would fight over who got to feed him that night and let him stay at their house. But that's not what happened. Uh, that's not what happened. Instead, because of a drought that he had predicted, he was in a ravine eating bits of bread and food dropped to him by ravens. Now, what do we learn from this? What's, what's our ap- application? You know what? For, for Elijah, it's what God said to Elijah. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see this over and over and over again. Sometimes we, we, we get in our heads that it's not supposed to be this way for us. We live in America. We're not supposed to have this. We're supposed to just have easy times. But, but God never said that serving him would be easy. God never said to Elijah, Elijah, when you serve me, it's going to be a piece of cake. God, God never tells us that when we decide to serve him, to live for him, to take up his cross, to do what he's asked, God never tells us that serving him is going to be easy. Now, now I know, I, I don't want to, hopefully I don't offend anyone here, I, I know there's some popular preachers that teach uh, you can watch them on TV uh, over and over again. There's some popular preachers that teach that God wants to bless His followers beyond all measure. Just turn your life over to Jesus and God's favor will rest on you. You'll be blessed financially. You'll be blessed with health. You will, you will be blessed with all your plans and dreams coming to fruition. There's one problem. The Bible never teaches that. Now, you can talk about it. It sounds good. And yeah, there's, there's verses that talk about God blessing us, but, but God never says, follow me so that life can be good and easy and, and you will be blessed with, with, with all types of things. In fact, what I see in scripture is totally different. Don't, don't you see the same thing? What did Jesus say? What, what did Jesus, Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. He, he didn't say, leave your mansion, start up your Rolls Royce and live in my favor. I, that's not what Jesus said. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. He didn't say the world's going to love you and you'll be blessed in all you do. Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. N- not, hey, you're going to be happy, healthy, and affluent. In fact, if you look back at some of the, some of the people in the Bible, Moses, God called Moses to leave Israel out of Egypt and man, Moses, it was like he was butting his head against a wall the whole time. It was one struggle, one problem after another. In fact, so much so that Moses got frustrated. Moses had issues himself, and he didn't even get to go in the promised land because the, the Israelites drove him, drove him so crazy. Uh, Joseph, Joseph heard God speak to him in dreams. And, and yet Joseph, who was, who was going to be in the lineage of of the Messiah. Jesus would come from Joseph's, Joseph's lineage. He's going to be a key peop, a person in the life of Jesus. And, and what had happened to Joseph? Joseph's brothers, instead of favoring him, instead of blessing him, his brothers threw him in a well, sold him to a passing caravan, and left him as a slave. <laughs> God never promises us that it's going to be easy sometimes he calls us into a drought and when we serve him it will require sacrifice but don't forget in the midst of sacrifice there's still going to be great joy in the midst of sacrifice there's still going to be great peace in the midst of sacrifice there's still going to be great fulfillment in serving 
God. So in the middle of this drought, Elijah suffered because it was a sacrifice. But let me, let me point out one other thing. Again, I'm, I'm out on my skis here. I'm, I'm, I'm making some assumptions. I, I think I'm right, though. I, I think I'm not far off. Not, not only did he suffer, but there was sadness. Not he had to sacrifice, but there was sadness in his suffering. We, we don't see it direct, directly uh, uh, pointed out here, but immediately after calling, calling Elijah to be a prophet, this is what God did. He isolated him. Why? Why after calling Elijah? Elijah, you're going to be my spokesman. You're going to, you're going to tell people what I want them to hear. And as soon as he did it one time, God isolated him. Why did God isolate Elijah? See, see, we know from Scripture, we'll look at this uh, in, in some future weeks, we know that Elijah struggled with depression. If you have your Bible still open to Kings uh, 1 Kings, go over to chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, read with me verses 3 and 4. Eli, uh, 1 Kings 19, 3 and 4. Elijah was afraid. Now, th- this is right after, we'll talk about this here in the future, right after Elijah won a great battle on Mount Carmel. If, if you're not familiar with that, go ahead and read chapter 17 and chapter 18, and you'll see what I'm talking about. He had won this great battle of the prophets of Baal. God had shown up in a mighty way. Uh, in fact, Right after that, Elijah left and he ran with, with an unbelievable speed. God gave him speed where he outran a chariot. It, it's some amazing stuff. So right after seeing God show up in a big way, Ahab's wife, Jezebel, who was from Sidon where God had sent him to Zarephath to be, right after all that happened, right all that happened, Jezebel basically said, I'm going to get you, Elijah. So verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, which is in southern uh, Israel, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Now, this is the guy that was God's prophet. The guy that we're going to see later on, God took to heaven in a, in a fiery chair. He, he's a cool guy. Done. Now he's laying under a bush saying, God, I want to die. I have... Had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Why? Why did God isolate him? Well, I, I think two reasons. I, first of all, to teach reliance. He was, he was teaching him early on uh, in his ministry to rely on God. As the drought increased, as the, the flow of water in the brook slowed down, as, as it got old to have just bread and raw meat dropped by ravens, bread and raw meat dropped by ravens, bread and what in the world was that? That's, that was dead for a while before you dropped it. Right in the middle of that, God was teaching him to trust him. God demonstrated it over and over again. In fact, when he's sitting to Zarephath, he demonstrated again. He said, Elijah, go where I tell you to go, which is right in the middle of where they hate you, and trust me. Now, I I don't know if you caught it when you read it. What what was the first thing? I ask a lot of questions here today. What was the first thing that Elijah did when he got to Zarephath? He saw the widow. He he, he did something. What did he ask for? 
hey, can, can I have a drink of water? And by the way, a piece of bread. I may be reading too much. That indicates to me he was thirsty. The brook had dried up, and he had traveled all the way from, from way down here in the east part all the way up to, to north of Israel. He had traveled several days' journey, and I have a feeling that there were no ravens, there were no brooks. He was, he was hot, and he was thirsty, and he was hungry, and God showed up again. Go back in, in 1 Kings chapter 17, look at verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called, he called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? I'm, I'm, I'm parched. As he was going, he said, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself, my son, that we may eat and then die. So God sends him from a brook that is drying up, dried up to a lady to, to take care of him that only has a little oil and enough flour to make one, one cake of bread. And yet God teaches him to rely on him. You know, the other thing that he taught him there, second thing is, this may seem weird, he isolated him to teach him not to isolate. God, God isolated Elijah to teach him not to isolate, not to pull yourself away from people. Now that may that may seem that may seem odd, odd but but God could have God could have cared for Elijah in the Kirith Ravine for the duration of the three years. He could have. He could have miraculously, if he's bringing him bread and food from ravens and he stopped the rain because Elijah gave, God could have delivered. He could have said, hey, Elijah, every morning tap a rock and there's going to be some, a gallon of water is going to rush out. Or maybe one of the ravens could have dropped a milk jug full of, don't think they had them back then, but a jug full of water every morning and every night. To go. God could have taken care of him in the ravine. But God isolated him to, to teach him to rely, but then, that he told him to leave to teach him not to isolate. See, as I mentioned before, that Elijah, uh, Elijah struggled with depression. And Elijah, this great man of God that, that was so blessed that he never tasted death, he, man, he's like us. There's times that he was, he was on the high of highs. He was on mountaintops. We'll see that at Mount Carmel. And there's times that he literally was in the valley wanting to die. First Kings 19, uh, move you back and forth here, 19. Verses uh, 15 to 18 says this. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. Then when you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, the son of Nishma, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shepheth, from Abel. Uh, I hate having to read all these words. Mahula to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah earlier said that, God, I'm the only one. I'm the last one. I'm the only one left. God knew that, that, that Elijah was going to struggle with depression, was going to struggle with, with tending to isolate himself. And he reminded him that you have other people in your life. 
So what do we learn? Over, over the last three and a half months, I think God has been teaching us some lessons. And I think one of the lessons that he's taught us, I think a lot of people have learned this, I, I think God has isolated us. That's one of the things that, that has happened. I, I remember when we voted as a, uh, a board back on March uh, 16th to suspend our in-person gatherings. That was one of the concerns that came up. Well, it's not good if we isolate. It's not good if we're not together. But we knew it was the right thing to do, and so that's the decision we made, and, and, and we stand behind that. But, but, but God has taught us in this last three and a half, half months, I think he's taught us to isolate so that we can trust him. He's taught us that he is bigger than any pandemic. He's bigger than any financial crisis. He's bigger than any civil unrest. One of the things, one of the things we learned is we pull back as a society, as a community, as a church in all this madness. One thing remains true. It, it is always true that God is in control. Everything may seem to be falling apart. The world may be in chaos. Everything that we had put our hope in before may suddenly have collapsed like a house of cards. And we don't know about tomorrow, but in the isolation, God has taught us that he is in control. He is in control. And, and here's the second thing I, 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 I think he's taught us. I think a second lesson, and this is a little bit different of an application maybe, at least everyone's going to have to apply it differently, but I think he's also taught us not to isolate. I, I, I think it's time that, that we understand if God is in control, that there comes a time, and I don't know when that is. I, I honestly don't. Everyone has to decide for themselves. But there comes a time where we have to value stepping out of isolation and trusting God. Now, now let me preface what I'm going to say next with, with I, I realize there's a lot of people watching at home, that, and, and you need to be there. And, and please understand, I respect that. I respect that for, for, for people who are in high risk. In fact, some of you people should not be here today that have been here every Sunday since we opened up. A couple ladies there on that back row. Yeah, uh, that's you. But, but hey, I respect everyone making their own decision. But if you're in a high risk or you have a child that's high risk, hey, I, I, I totally respect. And as church, we support you 100% in, in being safe and, and taking care of your family. So hear that first. But also know that that there comes a time where, where we have to realize that isolating is not good. Uh, we live in unprecedented, unprecedented times, but sometimes we need to step out with unprecedented faith and show unprecedented commitment. Acts 2.42 says, They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayer. Do you realize that, that in the Jerusalem church, just, just days, weeks, months after Jesus had ascended to heaven, that they were in the middle of a pandemic. Did, did you know that from Acts chapter 2? That the early church, had, there was a pandemic going on, but, but the pandemic was in the church. The pandemic was that the, the gospel was spreading like wildfire through Jerusalem and Judea and to the world. And, and, and because of that pandemic, it was affecting the believers with, with persecution and punishment and loss of jobs and death. That, that, that's what they were suffering because of this pandemic. But they devoted themselves nonetheless. Hebrews chapter 10, 23 to 25 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. 
for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some of the habit are doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Church, as we continue to, uh, or as the church continues to grow and expand, the pandemic expanded with it. The early church we see from the epistles faced persecution and and struggles that we can't even begin to understand. And yet they were encouraged to stay together. They were encouraged to continue to meet. Uh, I l- let me say it again. Let me let me preface again. Uh, everyone has to make their own decision, and and we respect that. As leadership, we've talked about that, and we. We totally support anyone that needs to stay home for themselves or their family members. Don't misunderstand. But we also need encouragement and fellowship. And when that time comes, and it's going to come at different times for different people, I realize that, but we need encouragement and fellowship. And, and the reality is I need, I need that, and, and I need that given back to me from you. I need to offer it, and I need to receive that type of encouragement. So, so, so let's let's uh, let's move move on. He he suffered. Boy, there was there were some sacrifices because of that, wasn't there? There were some sacrifices. But but let's go one thing, and we'll go through this quickly. He he also was sent. God sent him, and one of the things he learned. We kind of talked about it already, so I'll brush, brush over this quickly. He, he sent him to be sustained. So when he left. The brook where he could have sustained him there. He could have just left him there. He sent him somewhere else and he sustained him there. If you read on in the, the text uh, in chapter 19, we see that God continued to take care of Elijah. In fact, the, 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 the little flask of oil didn't run out. And, and the little jar that had the, the, the flour in it never ran out as long as Elijah was there. He continued to sustain him and care for him. God will will sustain us either by changing us or changing our circumstances. But whatever happens, he sustains us. In her book, The Hiding Place, I know some of you probably have read it. It's an old book, but a book by Corey Timboom. Corey Timboom tells the story of how her family uh, survived a concentration camp, or she survived the concentra- concentration camp. Her, her family didn't. They, Her and her, her sister and her dad were 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 harboring Jews and were found out, arrested, thrown into Nazi uh, Germany uh, concentration camps, and and they struggled. But every chance they got, they tried. Her and her sister Betsy tried to have Bible studies and prayer meetings, and 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 whenever they could get, gather a moment where a guard wouldn't be within earshot, they would would come together and they would quote scripture and they would try to encourage one another. They, they were moved from one camp to another. And when they got to this one camp, they went into their barracks and they found out that the barracks was infested with fleas. In fact, Corey, Corey kind of threw up her arms like, God, really? We've been trying to serve you and now this one more hardship after another. And yet it was her sister Betsy said, but Corey, don't you understand? This is a blessing because of the fleas. The guards won't come anywhere near our barracks. And so now we can study and we can pray and we can fellowship all that we want to. See, God sometimes provides in an unconventional way. With, with Elijah, he moved him out of isolation 
to, to be sustained by a way God provided with a widow who had nothing but a little jar of oil and a little, a little bit of flour. See, God will provide. But right in the midst of God sustaining him, he also gave him the ability to save. See, when God moved Elijah out of isolation, he moved from one phase that just was about being sustained and sent him to a place that moved him into ministry. Worship team, if you guys want to come on up. You may, you may sometimes find yourself in a drought. You may find yourself dealing with suffering, and, and, and because of that, you've had to make sacrifices, and there's, there, there's sadness, there's, there's heaviness of the soul and the heart because you're right there where God has put you. But you also see God in it. You see God sustaining you. See, God puts us in those places to sustain us, but to also use us. Use us to save and to serve and to minister. Kyle Eidemann, a pastor of a large church in Louisville, Kentucky, tells a story about a family in his church that found themselves in the middle of a drought. Now, now it wasn't, it, it wasn't literal. It's not like it stopped raining, but their family was right in the middle of a drought. They, they had taken up residence at the hospital. The mother of, of the Pickman family was, was dying. And, and her children and grandchildren would gather and held vigil there. And, and as they gathered, they would, they would pray and they would, would sing gospel songs to her and, and lift her spirits and, and encourage one another. And, and yes, they were in a drought. It, it was difficult. It was sad. It was hard. But, but they also found great joy even in the middle of that drought because God was sustaining them with his presence. Just like Elijah, a drought was there, but God was there too. But a little bit later, they began to realize that God had a second purpose for them. The second purpose that God had for them was to serve. See, they began to, they began to encourage nurses as they got to know their nursing staff and respiratory and all the different people that came in. They began to encourage them and, and lift them up and let them know they were thankful and that they were praying for them. They began to to minister for the one, to the ones that were taking care of their mom. And, and, and then they began to become familiar. Some of you may have been in this situation if you've been in that same, same drought in your life. They began to minister to other families. They began to talk to, to families that were held up in the ICU waiting room just like, like they were. And they began to visit with them and, and pray with them and encourage them and minister to them. So right in the middle of a drought, they realized that not only was God sustaining them, but he had sent them. Are you in a drought? Are you in a drought because God sent you there? Maybe not now, but you will be sometime. God called Elijah and he put him right in the middle of a drought. And he taught him that it wouldn't be easy, but he wouldn't leave him. He would sustain him and then he would use him. Would you bow? Father, we thank you for the lessons that you teach us through, through our brother Elijah. Father, we thank you that he was a, a real person. Even though you used him in incredible ways, and certainly he, his life on earth ended in a, uh, an incredible way. Father, he's a lot like us. There were moments that he found himself in the drought and discouraged. There were times that he was depressed and 
just wanted it all to end. And yet, Father, you reminded him that you were there all the time. You were sustaining him. And, Father, you reminded him that he needed other people, that he needed fellowship, that he needed others to stand along with him, that there there were people that were, were walking right beside him, and just the knowledge of their presence would encourage him. Father, we pray today. We pray today for our our church, and we pray today for the church. There's so many people that are isolated. And for some of us, that's going to last a long time. We understand that. Father, we pray that as you sustain people in their isolations, that you will use them. Father, use them to serve and to save and encourage. Father, use them as your witnesses. Father, we pray as a body that we find encouragement together. Teach us those lessons in isolation. But Father, also teach us Teach us that we need one another just as we need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning, you need to know the one who promises to, to sustain you no matter what your drought might be. We invite you to come so you can know him. Would you stand as we sing?